Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Here's the story of the cross according to the Gospel of John. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened it to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I've written, I've written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked it in a sponge, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. Everything that surrounded the cross of Jesus shouts rejection. Everything that you look at and anything that you can comprehend concerning Calvary is all about someone being despised, someone being rejected. The Apostle John's account of the crucifixion is a tightly packed summary of the Old Testament prophecies concerning the agony Jesus endured before his victory over death. He was taken outside the holy city. He was rejected by people. Like the sin offerings described in the book of Leviticus. You see, there was a way that the law told them that they needed to take care of their sin. In Leviticus chapter 4, verse 5, they said to remove the sacrifice to the outer part of the city, take it outside of the city and offer it there. In Hebrews 13, 12, it says, And the sacrifice was taken beyond the gates of the city. 
when I think about how that applies to my life. I think about Jesus taking our sin and removing it, taking it out of our lives so it doesn't carry the power that it once carried. You see, that's what we see in this passage. You have to remember that the gospel writer here, the gospel writer John, everything he tells us, everything that he scribes has meaning to it. There's detail to it. In fact, there's meaning upon meaning. And so when you read this account, you have to ask yourself, how does this fit into my life? How does this apply to my life? It says in this account that he was crucified on a man-made tree. And that's the signal of God's curse according to Deuteronomy 21-23. The place that they took Jesus was a place called Golgotha. That was the dump pile. That was where they put rubbish And if you were going up there that day as Jesus and the two thieves were going up there, you may have seen skeletal remains. You may have seen other things that were horrific that indicated this was the place that was a dumping ground. I recognize that what Jesus did here is he took the things that would bring death to us so that we might have eternal life, so that we might have abundant life. His clothes were taken from him, fulfilling the prediction of Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. It says, they divided my garments among them, and they cast lots for my clothing. You know what this tells me? This tells me that my life is not left up to chance. That even though the Roman soldiers did what they did here, they gambled away the clothes of Jesus. Jesus made sure that when he went to the cross, that your life wouldn't be a gamble. Or as they use in gambling terms, a crapshoot. That your life isn't left up to chance. But your life is in the hands of a creator, a maker. One who loves you and knew you before the foundations of the earth. The psalmist says he knew you while you were in your mother's womb. He has purpose for your life. He always will have purpose for your life. And when I see something like this, I recognize that Jesus brings me purpose. It says they placed over his head that phrase, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. That's a mocking term. That's a slanderous term. And if you've ever been slandered, if you've ever been mocked, you have an idea what it feels like. But you have to know that Jesus went through that for you. The Bible says there's nothing that you have gone through that he hasn't gone through already. That's why Hebrews says that he's our great trailblazer. He's experienced everything that you've experienced. So when you feel mocked, when you feel slandered, you have to know that's exactly what Jesus went through. And he took all of that slander upon himself. And then they crucified him between two thieves. If you read a translation, and there are a few of them out there, it really is a better translation. It says that he was crucified between two terrorists. You see, these were men who knew what they were doing. These were zealots. They were Zionists. What they were doing is they wanted to stir up the Roman government. They actually wanted the Roman government to go away. They didn't care if anarchy reigned. They just didn't want the Romans there. And so they caused so much trouble so that they were crucified. It was predicted by the great prophet Isaiah. Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, 12, he was numbered with the transgressors. He was numbered with the transgressors so that you and me could be numbered with the righteous. 
You see, when you know Christ, the Bible says that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. That you stand righteous before God, not by your own doing, not by your own works, but you're clothed in the robes of his righteousness. You see, he became unrighteous so that you could be righteous. He was offered wine and vinegar, just like Psalm 69, 21 said it would happen. In another gospel, it says that they put it to his lips and he didn't take it in. When I read that, I recognize that that represents to me purity. That Jesus didn't take anything impure and that he presents us pure before our Father in heaven so that we can live this kind of life. He's provided all of this on the cross. You see, agony was written on every single act that surrounded Jesus' death. And no one saw him as the suffering servant. You see, they had all of these opportunities, but they didn't see him as Isaiah said that he would present himself as a suffering servant. Their eyes were blinded. I was reading this and I was praying, oh Lord, don't let me be blinded. Let me see the suffering servant. Let me see all the things that you have brought to me, your majesty, your greatness, your glory. But don't let our eyes be blinded as these eyes were blinded in that day. Adding to his agony comes those who mocked Jesus while he was on the cross. What I did is I went to the other gospels and I found the gospel of Matthew and recognized that you could insert some of what Matthew was saying right here in John's account. The way that they were mocking Jesus, first of all, they said, listen, how can you save the world when you can't even save yourself? I realized that when I was reading that is he didn't come to save himself. That wasn't his purpose. He wasn't driven by his ego. He wasn't driven by his greatness. He was driven by humility, his love for the Father, and his love for you. It says, and the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. His mission from beginning to end was to remove the sins of his people. He did that here. And then there was a, another phrase that was yelled and spewed upon Jesus. It was, you aren't the king of Israel. Don't call yourself our king because you're not our king. And then the third, probably the most hurtful to Jesus. You're not the son of God. We don't know you, but you're not the son of God. I would imagine that that had to bring the greatest amount of pain to his heart because he had such a close relationship with his father in heaven that everything he did, he asked for the direction of the father. And here he's being accused of not being the son of God when he knew that he was the only true son of God. This was by far the darkest hour on planet earth. The son forsaken by the father because of our sin and our sin rested on him. In the Old Testament book of Amos, the prophet describes this horrible, agonizing darkness. And he says it this way. He says, in that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your religious feast into mourning and all your singing into weeping. I will make that time like the morning for an only son. And at the end of that day, it will be bitter. 
Dr. William Hendrickson wrote it this way. He said the darkness meant judgment. The judgment of God upon our sins. His wrath, as it were, burning itself out in the very heart of Jesus so that he, as our substitute, suffered most intense agony, indescribable woe, terrible isolation or forsakenness. And he goes on to say this, that day, at that moment, hell came to Calvary and the Savior descended into it and he bore its whores in our stead. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, to God, God's last words were, why have you forsaken me? God the Father forsook God the Son because the judge would not look upon the sin bearer. Jesus in those moments was no longer spotless. He was thoroughly stained with your sin and my sin. He was no longer faultless. He was guilty through and through with our sin. God could not help him. In fact, God could not even face him. Now here's something amazing to me. Jesus in all of his torment, all of his agony, he took time to take care of his family. It gives you an indication about how he thought of you. And when you hear these words, when Jesus said, John, the beloved, the one that I love, here's my mother, your mother now. Mother, here's your son. If you can just for a moment even hear your name echoed there. Because I believe that with all my heart. I believe that your name was thought of right there on Calvary in that moment of his greatest torment, his greatest agony. And to me, the window is open by what he does here. You see, in those days, there wasn't a welfare system. There was no social security. Jesus wanted to take care of his mother, so he entrusted the life of his mother to the one he loved, the beloved. He said, John, here she is. Take care of her. Church history says that John took her in that day and cared for her until her death. What a wonderful portrayal of how Jesus loves family, loves you, and he thought of you that day. When it was all accomplished, it says in verse 30, and Jesus said, listen to this, it is finished. I think about that phrase, and I recognize that whatever Jesus says, there's meaning upon meaning. And I looked at this, and I I saw that there were three things about that one phrase, those three simple words. Number one, it's a shout of victory. It is finished. What he was saying is from this moment on, I have conquered death, I've conquered sickness, and I've done it for you because what's about to happen is you will come and you will find an empty grave because I've risen. A shout of victory. It is finished. Secondly, it's a directed proclamation. I think when he said that, he was saying that right to the ear of God. He was saying to his father in heaven, I've done everything that you've asked me to do. You've asked me to bear these sins. You've asked me to love these people. And I've done it in every way perfectly. So father, the work that you've given me, your will has been done. It is 
finished. And then thirdly, a declaration of perfect completion. Did you know when you read this in the original language, when you read this in the Greek, it's the word teleos. And teleos means it's been perfected. That there's no spot or wrinkle. There's no flaw. That the sacrifice that Jesus offered was the perfect sacrifice. There was no sacrifice before him. There was no sacrifice that would come after him that would take care of the sins of the world. He said, it is finished. The perfect sacrifice has been offered and redemption is for my people. You have been redeemed. D.A. Carson writes it this way. He said, it was at this moment when, he's, when he was experiencing the abyss of his alienation from the Father and was being cruelly mocked by those he came to serve, that he chose to yield his life as a ransom for many. Jesus went through this incredible rejection, and he did this for all sinners. He died from sin, the weight of sin, And he died for sin. He became sin for all of us. When Jesus understood this, when he knew this, he was sent from his Father in heaven. And his Father in heaven had something in mind. The ultimate way to conquer evil is to let it be smothered within a sinless, perfect, willing, living human being. And when it is absorbed there, Like blood in a sponge or a spear thrown into one's heart, it loses its power and goes no further. You see, evil, the power of sin was stopped that day on Calvary. The sting of death was taken away. Your foe has been vanquished. It was done in the body of Jesus Christ. He took that upon himself. I think about the cross and I think about all he's done This week, as I read this story, I recognize that there are many stories that that portray the the wonderful beauty of what Jesus did. I think of an old story. It's been read and recited for years and years. It's a story of King Arthur. King Arthur did something that no king before him or after him did. King Arthur dressed as a peasant, and he took a journey through his kingdom. He went and he lived with his people. He ate with his people. He slept with his people. He spent time with his people. But there's a wonderful paragraph describing a moment when this king in disguise reveals the true royalty of his heart. He and his companion come upon a beggar's home and they find it silent as death because smallpox is claiming the beggar's daughter. You see, smallpox during the Middle Ages was just like leprosy was during the time of Christ. It was an absolute death sentence. The king disappears up a ladder looking for the girl. And his companion goes on to describe what happens. He says this, there was a slight noise from the direction of the dim corner where the ladder was. It was the king descending. I could see that he was bearing something in one arm and assisting himself with another. And he came forward into the light. And upon his chest lay a slender girl of 15. She was but half conscious. 
She was dying of smallpox. Here was heroism at its last and loftiest possibility, its utmost summit. This was challenging death in the open field, unarmed, with all the odds against the challenger. No rewards set upon this contest. There was no admiring world, no one wearing silk or gold, no one there to applaud. He was great now, subliminally great. It would be a king in commoner's garb bearing death in his arms. And he thought it not robbery to come to be with us, not holding on to anything, But he took the form of flesh and he became obedient even to the death of the cross. Jesus on the cross. Would you bow your head with me? I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward if they would. And I want to ask you this. I just feel compelled to do this this morning is to invite you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he, that he came for you, that he died for you, and that soon, in just another week, right in this place, we are going to be saying the words that we can't hardly hold back. He's risen. He's risen indeed. You see, it's agony before victory. The agony of the cross. What he's done for you. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus in your heart, I want to give you that opportunity. I'm going to pray a prayer and I want you to pray this prayer with me. And when we're done, if you prayed this prayer today to receive Jesus in your heart, I'm going to ask that you just lift your hand where you are. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out. But, but I just believe that God wants to do something in your life today. I really do. You need to have the opportunity. There is an invitation extended to you, an eternal invitation. He stands at the door of your heart and he knocks today. Open it up. He won't force himself in, his way in. He won't kick down that door. You have to open it. You have to invite him in. And that's the prayer we'll pray together. Everyone follow me in this prayer. Dear Jesus, I invite you into my heart today. Today I confess with my mouth. Today I believe in my heart that you are my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. And I accept the gift of the cross, the gift that you've given me. In Jesus' name. Still with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer to receive Jesus today, would you lift up your hand where you are? And I, I, I want to I just recognize, good, I, I see your hand. We're going to get something to you. And I want you just to keep your hand up for a moment, if you would. Someone's going to bring something to you, and I'm so thankful for your courage. And once you get this, you just go ahead and put your hand down. Thank you. Thank you. 
This is like a starter kit for you. It really is. <laughs> it's going to give you some instruction about the decision you've made and about the journey ahead of you. But here's essentially what has happened. The Bible says it in many ways, but I think the best way is the old has gone, the new has come. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. You now have eternal life in Jesus' name. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.